everyone. This is Kina Wolfenstein, and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. In this series of episodes, I have been interviewing other professionals to break down experiential and bottom-up styles of therapy and talk about the intersect between complex trauma and other mental health experiences. Today, I'm interviewing Ashantis Jones, and we are talking about eating disorders and body image. So here is their bio. Ashantis Jones is a trained master's level counselor and NASAM certified personal trainer that focuses their work on the mind and body, both of which are equally important to one's health. As a qualified mental health professional, they practice as a mental health and recovery coach and fitness professional. Her her specialties include body image, body respect, weight inclusive care, and career-based trauma. She utilizes an intersectional, person-centered, and trauma-informed approach. And I will be linking her website, her Instagram, and her TikTok in the podcast description. Before we jump into the episode, just a couple other quick announcements. Um, You will also find my link tree in the podcast description where you can access two different educational workshops that I've done. You can support my work by subscribing to my Patreon. I have a few other resources in my link tree. And then I also just wanted to mention again that our practice, Strong Root Psychotherapy, has hired two new therapists that are both accepting clients. So we have a therapist accepting clients in Texas and another one accepting clients in in Missouri. They're both awesome, both passionate about experiential trauma-informed therapy, um, both being trained in coherence therapy, which I talked about in a previous episode. So if anyone in Texas or Missouri is looking for an experiential therapist, you can click on Stronger Psychotherapy in my link tree and check out their bios. Okay, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, Ashantis. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yes, I'm super excited to talk about this with you. So yeah, to start us off, can you just kind of introduce yourself and tell everyone about the kind of work that you're passionate about? Yes. So my name is Ashantis Jones. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I have a master's in counseling. um, And then I am also a um, NASM certified personal trainer and a group fitness instructor. And so I really work with clients holistically on their health and wellness, um, looking at mind and body, really focusing from a coaching perspective. So really utilizing, you know, that toolbox um, Mm -hmm. mindset and so that people can build the tools that they need in order to create systems for themselves that are sustainable. Um, But really focusing on that primarily through um, body neutrality and body respect, um, because I know for my own self, prior to me becoming um, a counselor going into my master's program, that was something that I was struggling with. And I found that it really like snapped everything else into focus for me once I was able to do that healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see that, you know, kind of continuously happening with clients as well, especially when you start to bring in like all of the layers um, that I know we're going to get into in this podcast when it comes to trauma and bodies and how that integrates with systems of oppression and all of these other things that I think a lot of people don't realize how interconnected they are. Yes, I know. I feel like there's so much to dive into. So I'm I'm super excited. Um, I guess as a starting point, why don't we just kind of talk about some of those overlaps that we're going to be digging into deeply today. So like, what are some of the ways that you see eating disorders and trauma and oppression kind of all intersecting with each other? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like the first thing I'll say is I think that, um, you know, eating disorders as, you know, they're clinically stated, right. It's, it's a mental illness and it's not about the actual food itself, but it's about folks being able to utilize that as a tool to cope with whatever other things are happening in their lives. But the hard thing about eating disorders in comparison to other um, addictions or substance use disorders, because that's what they're most you know similar to, is that you have to still eat food, right? And so like, although I definitely would consider myself somebody that believes in harm reduction, at the end of the day, somebody does not have to drink alcohol. Oh right. Gosh. But yes, like you all the time have to eat food. <laughs> yeah. So you have to figure out how to heal that relationship in such a specific way because you can't, there is no option to just 
completely remove it from the life. Um, yeah, you can't, yeah, Yeah. you can't opt out. You can't No. And so, um, you know, with that, there's also the other side that like our, our culture and even our healthcare model is a hundred percent weight centric, Mm. even though studies have shown that that's actually not a, the most ethical and B scientifically actually is not backed, Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that a weight inclusive or a weight neutral healthcare model is scientifically backed and way, 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 way more ethical. Um, and so, you know, both of those things really play hand in hand with each other because we as individuals have so many different intersectional, um, and intersecting identities and, the way in which we have such a weight neutral or excuse me, a weight centric healthcare model versus weight neutral Mm -hmm. really plays a role in how we further some of those systems of oppression. Um, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's anti-fatness, anti-blackness, um, the patriarchy, sexism, ableism, like food insecurity, all of these things are connected. And I think a lot of times people are like, how the heck, can all of these things be interconnected? But they are. They really are. And, yes. <laughs> and like, not only has has research like back this, we also have people who have been activists and liberationists that have been talking about this for years. Mm-hmm. But I think that in the age of social media, and especially within the last like three to five years, we've really been able to see a dramatic increase in the amount of fat liberationists and mm-hmm. body liberationists um, being able to have platforms and be able to like more broadly share these messages because yeah. it was such underground work. Um, but these are, you know, things that have we've been fighting for fat liberation since we've been fighting against Jim, Jim Crow, since we've been fighting yeah. for queer rights. Like all of those things have been happening um, at the same time forever. But now, just finally, I think we're starting to be able to get people to listen um, when it comes to weight inclusive care. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like even just in the last like five or 10 years, there's been, you know, changes with how commonplace those conversations are. Cause I, I feel like even just growing up in like the early two thousands, the, the landscape, the cultural landscape was so entirely, I mean, there were activists, right. But they were so silenced and they were so marginalized mm-hmm. that the, yeah. the majority culture was just like, so toxic, like so yes. fat phobic and almost actually like promoting of disordered eating, right. Like all oh, of these 100%. different popular diets are like, it was like normalized in this culture to have disorder. Yeah, eating. it is. Oh, I mean, like it, it was right. If you think about like the nineties, the style, like, right. The literal yeah. style, what we would at some point have said, you know, rock was heroin chic. Right. And right. it's like, okay, so wait a minute. We've got like layers on layers here, right? Like we're talking about substance use. We're also talking about disordered eating. We're also like, oh my yeah. gosh. And that was what was promoted as the thing that was in. Yeah. Yeah. So people literally were making themselves sick to be mm-hmm. in style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? Yeah. I know it really is mind boggling. I'm so glad that these conversations are, are like being centered a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit mm-hmm. more pushback against like those, right. those harmful ideologies. Yes, um, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm like almost overwhelmed by all the different places I that we know. could start here. Cause there's so much to talk about. I'm like, where do we start? I guess, I why don't we start with talking about, so because of that fat phobia and because of these like cultural messages around thinness and like what it means yeah. to be thin and what it means to be fat. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking before this episode about how attachment and trauma plays into that, because obviously as humans, we're so motivated to have like belonging and acceptance and connection. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I wanted to start by talking about how it is almost like inherently traumatic to live in this culture, especially if you don't fit into those beauty standards and Mm -hmm. kind of how that leads into disordered eating. So can you speak a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like the, the wildest part is that like that has a name, right. And the name is diet culture and like diet culture (laughs) is that never ending, always marketed to you 
and I mean, it's everywhere. It's mm-hmm. in the TV we watch, the magazines. It's in the songs we listen to. It's it's everywhere, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this inherent belief that we all should be striving to be thin. And that version of thinness that we're all striving for should be done to some degree at all costs. And so for some people, um, they can get, they can achieve thinness fairly easily. Um, maybe they already are naturally thin, right? Like they don't even do anything and they just are thin. And then you have some people who have, you know, weight cycled, which Mm-hmm. asterisks I put a star there and say go google weight cycling if you've never heard that before people because it's actually harmful to your health mm-hmm. um <laughs> but we'll come back to it um but yeah just like it, it is the everything of what you should be eating drinking sleeping reading everything about it um it is focused on achieving this this thinness or this perfect body and this body ideal but you know one of the things that i've talked about especially in a lot of like workshops that i've done is we have to remember that like the ideal body especially when we're talking about it for women specifically it comes from two places number one obviously it's coming from the patriarchy mm-hmm. so then it's like okay well if i don't agree with the patriarchy then like why am i following this mm-hmm. Um, but then the other piece of it is that it's also impossible to keep up with and has changed so much over the years. And right. this can be taken back. Like, we're not talking about the last hundred years. We're talking about in ancient Rome, right, in Greece, right. in Egypt, like in, in uh, old Chinese dynasties. Like, we're talking old, okay? Right, right. There have been these ideals of what bodies should look like. And we've mm-hmm. gone from some variation of thin to curvy and back and forth so many times before mm-hmm. we even get into, like, the actual what 20th century right then it starts changing like every decade yeah it's like this constantly moving goalpost right and so if you are a person who's lived through five different decades yeah (laughs) you've lived through five different body types Mm. so like if we know that weight cycling is not good for you and actually can like cause not correlated with but cause health issues especially cardiovascular health issues Mm -hmm. then why is it that we go back and forth every 10 years of what the new like ideal weight or body type is right like that doesn't make sense no it doesn't yeah so at the end of the day, you have to keep asking that question why and you're like, what is this connected to? What is this connected to? What is this connected to? And like the biggest overarching of diet culture is capitalism. Oh, a hundred percent. Cause they're so selling, like, they're like selling all of these different things for right. people striving to meet those, those body standards. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so every 10 years you get a new diet, right. Or not even now, like every 10 minutes. Yeah. New um, diet, new workout program, new, mm-hmm. you know, all that new stuff. everything. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, so, I mean, the, the wellness industry in general is worth trillions and that would include yeah. practitioners like us. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. if we're going to include therapy and everything, trillions of dollars a year but when you want to talk about like very specific to weight loss that's billions yeah it takes up a very large chunk and I'm not talking about billions in lifetime I'm talking billions per year Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's absolutely huge so with with like these massive forces kind of backing diet culture right we have like capitalism racism and patriarchy, mm-hmm. which are like three, mm-hmm. you know, major, major forces. Right. Um, what is it like for people that can't fit into those standards? Right. Like if you're someone that mm-hmm. is in a body where you can't meet right. whatever that, you know, that ideal mm-hmm. is. And I feel like it's compounded by, cause there's the, there's the weight, And then it's like even compounded if you, um, fit into other identities where you're not right. like, like if you're also trans or you're also disabled right. or you're also a person of color mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. So what, what is that like for people to not I mean, be able to? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 to your point about like the needing and the feeling of belonging, like that is so intrinsically necessary for the human experience. And it's hard to feel belonging when you're being told something that you cannot change about yourself. Um, 
is wrong, right? In the same way that there was a point in my life where as a, as a Black child, I was being told my Blackness was not enough or not good enough. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's wild because like, I can't change that. Right. Like, I can't just be like, hey, you know, I want to redo and I want white parents now. Like, mm-hmm. that's, you can't, yeah, this <laughs> no is like, one so, can decide It's who that. you are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, like, it's, it, you also get to that point, I think, when it comes to your, your body size, body type, even, where you have to just be like, you know what? <laughs> I got what I got and I got what I got. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think like a lot of people, they fall into this trap of like, well, you can change it. Right. Like, no, maybe you can't change being short or being tall, but you can change your weight. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not saying that you can't, but I'm also saying like, at what detriment to your mental yeah. health, Yeah. at what detriment to your physical health? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, if you are, not considered like socially acceptable in the way that you look, especially growing up. And maybe like for younger people, there's so much overt bullying and shaming that happens Mm -hmm. to you. So you're really receiving like direct, you know, kind of direct trauma of people being like and bullying you. And then I think if you already have a sense that you don't fit in for other reasons, like let's say you're neurodivergent or, you know, you struggle to like fit in, in your community for whatever reasons. I think a lot of people really get attached to trying to change their body as that mechanism to be like, if I can just make my body look this way, then I can fit in, then I can be accepted, then I'll be desirable. And so it becomes this like way to try to achieve like belonging and acceptance um, for mm-hmm. people. And I think if you already have attachment trauma, like maybe you don't feel connected to your family at home, you know, right. you're like the, the kind of overemphasis on beauty and the body, it becomes like this catch all way to be like, well, if I can just be beautiful in X, Y, and Z way, then I can feel loved and I can feel seen right. and I can feel. And the sad thing is that's not entirely disconnected from reality because we have research showing that people are treated better when they're thin right they are you know and so yes. it's kind of this this really insidious thing yes right because and and I think that that you know pops up in other ways too right like as a queer person mm-hmm. I know unless I am you know very overtly in a predominantly queer space that it is probably safer for me to dilute that part of myself if you know when it comes mm-hmm. to like let's talk about career yeah because then the, then to people who live in such a heteronormative like lens and really just don't even realize how like horridly heteronormative they're being yeah like oh my god all they do is talk about how they're queer like that's so annoying and I'm like that's really weird coming from a straight person. Like that's very <laughs> odd behavior. Yeah. Um, but it, but I think that there are a lot of queer folks, whether we're talking about gender identity or sexual identity, that really like dull that side of themselves because they're like, I don't want that to be something that is stacked against me. Yeah. And that bias is it is there. Implicit bias is real. Yeah. Yeah. So it just is. And the same absolutely goes for something like body size. People have an extreme implicit bias against people in larger bodies. And it so is much. absolutely wild because majority of us actually live in larger bodies. So mm-hmm. it's like, now wait a damn minute. That mm-hmm. also doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's like reinforced because there's also like positive bias towards people that are in really thin bodies. And so then yeah. it's like, if you do, especially for people that do the weight cycling, right. I've heard from so many folks that it's like, I can literally feel the difference in how I'm treated based on what size mm-hmm. my body is. And I can like feel all this positive reinforcement that happens when I'm in a smaller body of people like complimenting me and congratulating yep. me and being nicer to me and treating me with more respect and so, yeah. you know, in order to not like cave to that, I feel like you have to have that strong center that you were talking about of being like, this is who I am. And like, I got what I got. And I think right. it's really hard for people with trauma to have that center. So I feel like that's a connection yeah. too, where it's like, if you've already been traumatized, you're going to be so sensitive to feeling like rejected and shamed by people right. around you. Right. And like, to some degree, like when you think about how certain like addictions became addictions right Mm -hmm. with eating disorders 
and there are so um, a myriad of them. Um, but with eating disorders, a lot of times what people don't even realize they're doing is reinforcing the eating disorder. And so you see somebody who has meticulously been like, okay, I have to be thin. And the thing I'm doing is, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then they start to get that positive reinforcement. That's like, oh my gosh, you look so good. You look so thin. And that person's like, okay, this behavior is working. I will continue to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like socially reinforced addictive behavior. Right. Yeah. Right. And like the person who made the compliment may have absolutely no idea that that's how that person is doing it. Right. Right. They don't know what they're reinforcing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like, because we've made it so normal for people to comment on each other's bodies positively when they're getting smaller, negatively when they get larger. Yeah. We're reinforcing these things every single day. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It reminds me of um, one thing I see online a lot that always really bothers me is like the whole kind of like glow up or like revenge Mm -hmm. body thing. I see people talk about this all the time, right? Like after Mm -hmm. a breakup and you, you lose the weight and you get thin and then, you know, your ex is going to regret how they treated you or, Mm -hmm. you know, you have this glow up and you, um, you change your looks in all these ways. And then it like changes your whole life. And Mm -hmm. whenever I see those, I think about like, the attachment to where it's like people are basically, you know, using their body to try to get these different emotional needs met for like, yeah. okay, if I can look this certain way, then people will regret the fact that they were mean to me or they'll, mm-hmm. you know, it'll make a point that like, I'm the winner. Like I'm, you know, yep. I'm the one that's succeeding. So it's just so like laden with all of these meanings, you know, it, yes. like how your body looks. It's really intense. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like, that is why, Number one, I think that's why eating disorders are the most deadly of mental health disorders Mm. is because they are just so everyday, like normalized within our society. Like, of course, it's the most deadly because we are literally applauding and cheering for it. We don't applaud and cheer for people who are struggling with any other like chemical dependency. Oh my gosh. It's so true. Yeah. It's like the one, like kind of socially heavily condoned addictive. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, yeah, it makes sense that it's, it's the thing that's actually also leading to more of us, unfortunately, no longer being here. Mm -hmm. Um, because you like, at a point, the brain just like it, it, it is so badly like traumatized or that like the unlearning, like, it's like, it's too far gone to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I like that you said unlearning because, you know, being doing the kind of trauma therapy that I do, there's, that's so much of what I work on with people, right. Is kind of like processing Mm -hmm. and updating these different core beliefs and like working through different emotional learnings. And I find that like body image related things are always almost like kind of intimidating for me to work with. Cause I'm Mm -hmm. like, not only are we working through things that may be related to like personal trauma, but we're going to have to unlearn things that have been like culturally embedded in all of us from like the time that we were infants and reinforced over and over and over and over again. So it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel that intimidation sometimes where I'm like, these things are so deeply embedded. How do we unlearn them? Where do we start? Yes. Where do you start? I feel like that's the question that I get a lot of times. They're like, how do you even like, you know, if they listen to a conversation like this and they're like, you went from here to there and like all over the place. Like Mm -hmm. it's like that scene in Flubber, like when it first comes (laughs) out and it like bounces all over the walls. Like that's how I feel like learning about this. That's what it's felt like over the years. Um, (laughs) and And I think the thing that was really helpful for me was just realizing that like, because the the thing I was having to stop at where I was like, okay, all this makes sense about like body positivity, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, health, Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, people in larger bodies have these issues. And then I started digging into that science and realized that that was actually bullshit and was like, oh, it's actually all a lie. Mm-hmm. So 
to start off, what I mean by that is, um, so the, the universal measurement that we use to decide essentially if somebody is healthier or is unhealthy is the BMI, the um, body mass index. Freaking BMI, that shit makes me so mad. <laughs> and so for the handful of people who maybe don't know, the BMI was actually created by a mathematician, statistician, not a medical professional. And it was also only based on Belgian men, therefore completely irrelevant to 99% of the world. Yeah. Yep. And the, the wildest thing I think about the BMI is that the man who created it said it should not be used in the way that we're using it today. Like he, he straight up said that. And then, and then we still were like, you know, (laughs) That's cool or whatever, but we're going to use it anyway. We're gonna and we're going to base everything <laughs> off of this mm-hmm. and make people believe that it is actually medically sound when it is not. Yeah. Because, and, I, and people know examples of this very easily, right? A lot of athletes have extremely high BMIs because all you're Muscle doing mass. is exactly your ratio of height to weight. But like, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That means absolutely nothing. Yeah. It doesn't account for anything. Mm-hmm. What does account for things? I don't know. Your blood work. Right. Like <laughs> that, actual That health. is an actual metric. Right? right. Like I can look at your blood work and I can see what, you know, your cholesterol levels are and you either have high cholesterol or you don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we can focus on what we need to do to help mitigate that. Yeah. Yeah. But like high cholesterol exists in bodies of all sizes. Yeah. There yeah. is not, there aren't, I won't say there are zero cause that's not correct, but there are very few, um, diagnosable like diseases or illnesses that only exist in people with larger bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where people assume too, that if someone is thin, that means that they're healthy when like, we all know that you can be thin and you can be living off of like cigarettes and energy drinks and pizza. Right. That's obviously not a healthy lifestyle, but you just happen to be in a smaller body. Right. And a lot of that has to do with your genetics. Mm -hmm. A lot of that has to do with where you literally live, what access to Mm. food you have, what Mm -hmm. access do you have to help sidewalks oh yeah mm-hmm. it has to right so that it, what is your socioeconomic status yeah that's yeah, your environment your, yeah your environment what is your household life like is it really stressful mm-hmm. is it chill is it calm mm-hmm. are you always in fight or flight yeah <laughs> like the the drama is so 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 integrated into everything that we actually know about our bodies and we make it so minuscule we're like all it takes to be healthy is to eat this amount of food and do this type of exercise and then that's everything mm-hmm. when that is so far from the truth like that completely ignores mental illness right right Yeah. It's, I mean, I think there's like so much in general in our culture of trying to come up with these like very oversimplified formulas. So just be like, yes, plus Y equals Z, you know? And if you're not Mm -hmm. following that formula, you're doing something wrong. It's on you. It's kind of that individualism too, of like, well, you're not making healthy diet choices or you're not, you know, and completely discounting like all of the different systems in place that Mm -hmm. influence people's relationships with food and exercise and health in general. Mm Mm-hmm. And that has a definition too. It's or, or a word for it rather. It's called healthism. Oh, I haven't heard that one before. Healthism. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can look it up. It's in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Um, for the people who sometimes are like, no, this is real. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Did you ever decide to just maybe type it into Google before you said that? <laughs> maybe try that first. Because <laughs> um, it's, it's not looking good for you right now, my guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is like that individual like responsibility that you are 100% in charge of your health. And that is just so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so far from the truth. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. All of that, all of that makes so much sense. So, um, so there's all of this, this kind of like cultural layering. And then yes, I wanted to also talk briefly just about how different eating disorder behaviors and symptoms can also be used as attempts to like self-regulate or kind of like yeah. in, in actual response to having like PTSD symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so many examples of this, but like some of the ones that I have seen really often and in my work and my experience, Experience. And in my personal journey too, this was something that I worked through in my own like trauma recovery. Yeah. Um, but like one is that um, food in so many like families and cultures is really used as like a symbol of love and connection, right? Like it's yes. this very like culturally significant thing. And it's, it's used as kind of a symbol of like nurture and comfort and like connection mm-hmm. and all these different things. And so there's this, um, this one kind of model of addictive behavior that I've always really thought was super trauma informed, which is to look at it through the attachment lens, where if you don't have like safe and secure attachments, you can actually form attachments with certain like substances or behaviors Mm -hmm. as like a way to be self-soothed. And so the same way that someone can like form a relationship with the ritual of like substance use or drinking or whatever, um, we can like form relationships with food and with these different Mm -hmm. like food rituals. And so whether that's kind of like binge eating or like using eating as a way to like feel comforted or feel soothed or even like other behaviors, like, you know, um, bulimia cycles or things like that, that the like ritual of it can become almost like a stand-in for attachment for people. Have you found that at all in your work? Oh my God, absolutely. And frankly, like in my own journey as well. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I actually think it's a, a really good example of it. And so I'll share. And so, um, back in 2017, it was like one month of just like shit after shit, after shit, after shit. So I lost my, like for the first time ever had lost a job. Then a week later, my partner and I ended our relationship and we were living together. Mm -hmm. And then like two weeks after that, my parents' home got broken into. Oh my gosh. In broad daylight. And so it was just like thing after thing after thing. And I was just like, I have control of absolutely nothing in my life right now. My relationship is over. Now my partner is also like sort of in control of me because I just also lost my job. So like that's, I have no financial security. Mm. And then like all of these, you know, photos from our childhood were also just like taken away when this person broke into our house and stole our computer. Mm. So like all of these things I felt I had no control over. Yeah. And I immediately turned to food and exercise and was like, okay, well, if I don't have control over anything else in my life, what I can control is how much I'm exercising and how much I'm eating. Mm -hmm. And I knew that my body had changed a lot between when I had started college and when I ended college. And so, you know, this was after I had ended college. And so I was like, this is the year that I'm finally going to do the things and I'm going to lose the weight. Mm -hmm. And in true ADHD fashion, I did it too well, too fast. Mm. (laughs) And it became a a habit and it became this thing that I was like, okay, I can a hundred percent control this and, you know, utilize exercise in a way where I was like, okay, if I can do this and then eat like that, and then I'll be in the deficit. And then that's how you lose weight. And like, I'm doing something really healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So like, not only is this something I'm controlling, But this is a positive thing that you're controlling. This is the thing that everyone tells you you need to know how to control. Right. Yeah. It feels like it's like, oh, I'm taking control of my health. And I'm like, yeah, it has all of these different like meanings that makes it feel like it's this, you know, almost like a safety thing. Right. Where it's like, I'm in control. I'm going to be healthier. Like this is really this feels safe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for myself. I ended up in kind of like other unspecified eating and restriction disorders because mm-hmm. like, again, in ADHD fashion, like I couldn't pick one thing. It had to be <laughs> a mix of, of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I 
am so thankful for my doctor because I went in for a checkup and she knew what was going on because unfortunately my ex and I had the same doctor at the, mm. at the time. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and uh, she was like, you know, I'm very concerned. Um, you have dropped a significant amount of weight in a mm. very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, like, I've cut out this and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And, you know, I just really want to be in control of something when like all these other things are falling apart. And she was like, if you lose any more weight, we are putting you like, we are fully putting you into treatment. Like this is not okay. Yeah. And I remember being so confused because I was like, what, what? we're supposed to like exercise. I'm supposed to exercise like this. I'm supposed to be like eating as little as possible. Mm-hmm. What are you saying? Mm-hmm. And she yeah. was like, you know, and, and I hadn't made the decision to go into my counseling program yet at this time, but she was like, you know, I know, I know you have been previously interested in psych. Take a second and think about what we're talking about right now. Mm. Like, what does this look like for you? And because I'm such an analytical person, like I understood why she was asking it to me that way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh shit. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I, I, I do, I do be fit in the criteria for eating disorder. Yeah. Oh man. I did not <laughs> to take it that far. Right? right. Because I knew what an eating disorder was. Yeah. But I was like, I don't have that. I'm just being healthy. Right. Right. And it's such a slippery slope because like we were saying earlier, so many of the ideas about what is healthy are really endorsing disordered eating. So it's like, yeah, it's so easy to step over that line. Right. And I think with any other practitioner, they would have been like, you know, I know your life's like falling apart or whatever, but like, good job, homie. (laughs) At least you're losing weight. Like it would have been, yeah. It would have accidentally been endorsed, not being like, uh, we have an absolute red flag and I'm gonna need you to look in a mirror right now before we have to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, no, it absolutely is something that so much can, can become this coping mechanism when you have so many other things that just aren't going right yeah or your perception of right in your Mm -hmm. life and you're like well I can absolutely control what I eat and how much I sleep and you know what what I put in my body or I don't put in my body how much exercise I do I have absolute control over those things so Yeah. I was taking notes while you were talking about that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I was thinking, so, um, you know, trauma is inherently this very like powerless experience, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have your control stripped away. You have your power stripped away. You feel helpless. Things happen that are like outside of your control. And so that drive for control, um, has so many purposes. And one of the purposes that I was thinking of is that eating disorders also are so obsessive and obsession is really helpful in kind of like that trauma lens because it takes all of your focus. So you can't feel your feelings or think about anything right? Like people become so consumed and so focused on the number on the scale, the number of calories they're eating, the different, you know, the diet and exercise regimens that, um, it basically takes up all of your mental real estate and you don't, have space to think about like, oh, this breakup I just went through or my childhood trauma or all of these things that yeah. are feeling painful in my life. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it made sense to me once I then was diagnosed with ADHD. And of course it's, you know, combined type um, and autism. I was like, oh, well now the eating disorder absolutely makes sense because yeah. of course, if you're somebody who has ADHD or you're are autistic and even other forms of neurodivergency, like you, it's so much easier for you to hyper-focus and fixate on something. So yeah. it's like, you take that, be- like anything, you are going to take that behavior and max it times 10. Yeah. Yeah. 
Totally. Yep. I have ADHD too, and have, have the similar experience. And there, there are, you know, statistics showing that folks mm-hmm. with ADHD and autism are more likely to have all kinds of like obsessive behaviors, including yeah. addiction, including eating disorders. And, mm-hmm. um, it, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. So it has that Good. where it, it takes all your focus. It takes, and I remember, you know, when I was really struggling with my disordered eating, feeling that sense that if I stopped focusing on it, that all of these other things would come back into my brain and come back into mm-hmm. my awareness. And so it felt, yep. you know, from that kind of like coherence lens, like it was like really coherent for me to need to put all my mental energy into these kinds of like superficial control issues because right. it, it really did prevent me from like feeling all of this other stuff going on underneath the surface. So absolutely, I think that's a huge part of it. And then another piece I was thinking about was, um, kind of like the nervous system regulation and somatic stuff yeah. because food like food is such a somatic experience, right? Like being hungry mm-hmm. is a somatic experience. Being full is a somatic experience and it affects your nervous system. Um, the way that you eat, because, you know, if you're like really, really full, you kind of go into the rest and digest state where you're right. kind of like, you're tired and your parasympathetic nervous system is active and you're kind of like shutting down. And so some people will find that, for example, like overeating or binge eating literally will like get rid of anxiety because it puts your body into that rest and digest state where you're yep. it's almost like taking a Xanax, you know, like eating yes. a really big meal. Like you're like, oh, I could fall asleep right now. Yes. So it has that. And then maybe on the other hand, like restrictive eating, um, can almost put people into like a dissociative freeze state because your body Mm -hmm. starts to feel like, um, almost have to kind of dissociate and freeze to like distance from the hunger Hunger. in your body. So I feel like people really use food to like on a subconscious level, a lot of the time to try to like regulate their nervous systems too. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And like some of that is also like when you start to think about like the actual makeup of the individual food items, that also makes a difference too, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you're eating something that has, you know, a lot of sodium in it, like what is that possibly doing in your blood pressure? Mm -hmm. If you're eating something that has a lot of, um, you know, sugar in it, like how's that possibly impacting you? Because I think that's where sometimes people get confused when you talk about like weight neutral cares. They're like, but what about nutrition? And I'm like, nutrition is, is, is real. (laughs) No one's, no one is disagreeing that like your body can't, is not going to be able to fully function if you decide to eat no vitamins or minerals. Like I'm, nobody's debating that, babe. Um, but (laughs) what is being debated is that like, you have to delete something like cupcakes from your diet if you really like cupcakes in order to make room for apples why can't you eat both right and that's where kind of black and white thinking comes in too which is also so common with trauma is we kind of get exactly rigid black and white modes where it's like well if I just never eat I'm gonna cut out all sugar and all carbs and you know be keto or whatever and that's gonna be how I'm safe and how I'm healthy and how I feel in control Exactly. Exactly. And you have, and not only is it a regiment that you can do, sometimes it's a regiment you can do with your friends. Sometimes Mm. it's a regiment that you do with your family, Mm. right? Like how many, how many of these things have been passed generation and generation, especially from mothers to daughters. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Even without it being like directly said, it's sometimes it was just like, well, I noticed you did this and that in a mirror. And so I started doing that and that in a mirror or like mothers and daughters going on diets together even, um, is so common. Um, it's like a method of bonding almost. Yeah. 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 I mean, me and my mom did a diet together, like around my senior prom and Mm -hmm. it, it, like it was like, oh, we're gonna do it together because we like both need to lose weight for these things. Yeah. And like now looking back on it, I'm like, what the hell? But mm-hmm. it was so common to see that, right? Like we would see that on God help me, I wish it never existed. Like things like the biggest loser. Oh, it's oh, a yeah. team of brothers coming on, it's a mother-daughter, it's a wife mm-hmm. and a you know, husband coming on together, they're with you. Like, it was so much a part of the bonding of that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, belonging. Yes. 
Yeah. I remember watching that show when I was a teenager too. So toxic. Oh my God. So toxic. So toxic. I cannot stand Jillian Michaels anymore, but I used to stand Jillian Michaels. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I have one of her workout tapes when I was like 14. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. But now like, I don't, ever want to see her on the street please <laughs> <laughs> I'd have some words I'd have some words I'm gonna have too many words okay <laughs> totally no I know it's it's so upsetting to look back on all that stuff but yeah all, all of those layers and oh I was also thinking about um sexual trauma as being yes. really related to a lot of people's disordered eating because yep. whether it is like childhood sexual trauma or maybe like an assault that happens mm-hmm. in adulthood that is also an experience that may makes you feel so unsafe in your body and like so out of control of your body. And so I think there's a huge link there. Um, Absolutely. Have you found that as well? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you because I think like with sexual trauma, right. A lot of times people can feel so disconnected from their bodies. Mm -hmm. Right. And they have that kind of feeling of like, I am here, but like, the 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 body when I look at my hands or you know when I look in the mirror like it that doesn't feel like me yeah and I think that that's super common for folks that are experiencing eating disorders and disordered eating and even frankly weight stigma you have so many people that are like I just don't recognize myself anymore and I'm Mm. like well do you recognize a picture of you when you were five Mm -hmm. yeah well you look different then didn't you it's still you. It's still you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But they feel so disconnected for themselves because they're like, fatness is wrong and I'm fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when you've experienced such, you know, something so traumatic, like a sexual trauma, it's like my body went through this experience and I don't want to be a part of that experience. Right. Right. Like I want to find a way to disconnect from my body. Um, and mm-hmm. like restriction in particular yeah. comes up a lot there because it's like, you know, I, I was also, so one of the things that I've studied a little bit is how our brains, we really think a lot in like metaphors and symbolism. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that's why I was mentioning earlier about how food becomes like symbolic for like love and nurture and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I think restriction and eating disorder behaviors also become symbolic to kind of play out these like complex psychological things where maybe we don't really have words for it and we don't really know how to work through it. And so we like kind of work through it with our bodies and like with these different behaviors. And Mm -hmm. so if you have been through like a sexual trauma and, and then you're kind of like restricting, um, you know, it can have this like symbolism of like, I'm rejecting my body's needs. I'm rejecting my, like rejecting my kind of like animal instincts. Like I don't Mm want to be part of any of that because it all feels unsafe and bad now. Yep. Well, and I think it also happens kind of in the opposite um, lens when it comes to exercise Mm. and that when people are trying to like, when they're kind of getting, trying to get to the other side of it and they're trying to like reclaim themselves within their bodies. Oh yeah. That they'll like something you can get really caught up in like one type of exercise sometimes or one type of like method, if you will. Um, and they're like, I have to be the best at this because of it. I think that happens a lot for runners. And then mm-hmm. you end up with like some kind of wild runners and en- injury. Oh, and then yeah. people are like, I have to keep running though. I have to keep running. And you realize like they actually have not healed that trauma. They actually just like shifted it. Right. Because right. now they're like, if they don't have the literal ability to run, they're like, everything is starting like exactly yeah like needing to be in like actual physiological flight mode yeah exactly Mm -hmm. you'll see that a lot with like people who turn to like strength training and then they start to say things like exercise is my therapy yeah and I'm like (laughs) as a fitness professional and a trained counselor exercise is not your therapy (laughs) no no and I see that a lot too where people will go from being like deep 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 in eating disorders to them being like oh I'm recovered because now I'm focused on getting strong instead but like you said it's not just about like what you're eating it's about your mindset and if you are still completely like obsessed and dependent and if you're you're gonna like cry if you miss a week at the gym like that's you're still not in a healthy place at all you've just like shifted focus right Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And that is really, really difficult for people to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
Hmm. And I feel like a lot of times when I get people who feel this, like, and I know you get this in your comment section too on TikTok of like, I have to share my story with you to tell you why I'm different kind of thing Mm -hmm. is because they're like, hell no, that kind of sounds like me, but I don't want that to be me. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to accept. It's really hard to accept. Well, because then you're faced with like a whole other level of recovery. That's much scarier, which is like, okay, instead of just focusing on like, I'm not going to try to be underweight and I'm going to try to be strong instead. And that's recovery. It's like, no recovery is about actually like you were talking about body neutrality, um, forming like food and exercise habits that are kind of like flexible and in that gray area and based on nurturing yourself and not that rigidness. Right. Because the, right patterns tend to be so rigid. Right. Right. And then, you know, like to kind of take it back, um, a little bit too, that again, you can still actively work towards health without needing to work towards weight loss or an aesthetic change. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's not to say that neither of those things will happen. They might, but there is not a 100% guarantee. Right. And there's also not a hundred percent guarantee. I see this so much with other trainers and it like makes my blood boil where they're like, Oh, do you have issues with insert body part here? Well, we can focus specifically on that spot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, if I'm doing core workouts and I'm not doing any workouts for lower body, am I probably going to see a much like a a difference in my strength and my core versus my lower body. Duh. But that doesn't mean that I can guarantee that your body is going to look a certain type of way because we're doing core exercises. Mm -hmm. I can't guarantee anything. I am not a magician. Right. Right. Well, and having that be the goal is still, it's like, ideally, right. We would want to get to a place where your goal is genuinely just to feel like strong and good in your body and like find what is healthy for me. And if I do what my body needs me to do to feel good and like eat in the way that feels good and move in the way that feels good, what is the way that my, like my natural set point kind of is instead of like, what do I need to do to get to this particular size and shape that I'm right. Right. Because I, and I try to like, just remind people to really to some degree like in that unlearning and relearning process to really think about it in the same way that you would about your height yeah because in the same way that your height really has nothing it doesn't have anything to do with you right it's it's genetics you're gonna get the height that you're gonna get Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and so you know we wouldn't we don't condone as a society Though there are procedures for people to be able to make themselves shorter and taller, for the most part of society, we're like, whoa, why would you do that? That is highly unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. So is trying to shrink your body. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. As I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking about like um, kind of how great a multidisciplinary approach would be for someone to, to be able to get like this perspective, um, like kind of, you know, all of the knowledge you have around like nutrition and weight neutral fitness and things like that. And then also to have the kind of like trauma informed psychotherapy stuff Mm -hmm. um, to get at those roots, because a lot of the times people are either getting one or the other, right? Like they're either doing the work in therapy, but they're not getting any like practical support Mm -hmm. around like how to take care of their health in a productive way. Or they're really focused on all the like wellness, personal training, nutrition stuff, but they're not getting help for any of the like psychological issues. So it's like, you kind of need both ideally at least. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that is really the biggest reason of why I, you know, finishing my program decided not to sit for licensure Mm -hmm. was because I, in, at that time, I was doing, you know, my clinical hours and I was working with people on their own body image, food rules, et cetera, in the clinical space. And separately from that, I was teaching 15 group fitness classes a week. Wow. That's a lot. 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she was a year. I don't know how I made it. Um, But so I was like in these two worlds, Mm -hmm. having these conversations 
but having to have them so completely separately. Yeah. Because while I could, you know, sort of give the clients that, you know, I was their therapist, I could sort of give them an idea of what weight neutral fitness would look like. They had no body to really go and get it from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't give that to them because then now we're giving, we're starting a second relationship. We can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And then on this other side of it, I could speak about weight inclusive, um, you know, care practices as much as I could and, you know, trying to put it in there as our motivation and whatnot in a fitness class. But I could not have that individual one-on-one where we could like really have a conversation about it Mm -hmm. and not necessarily just have a conversation about it, but have a conversation about how to create the tools that they need in order to heal from that. Yeah. 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 And I love doing, um, like the, the kinds of therapy that I use with the internal family systems, like parts work and somatic Mm -hmm. stuff and coherence therapy. I love using those things for food issues and body Mm -hmm. image issues. And I think it can go so deep, but then I I've on the other side had times where I'm like, Oh, but I feel like there's this missing piece where people also need some more like functional, practical support for how to like form these, you know, healthier relationships with exercise and with food. Um, but one of the things that I have found a lot, um, doing that kind of like trauma work with people that I wanted to mention before we close here is that, um, if you're, as you're growing up, right. And you're a kid in like a traumatic environment, there's so many things that you don't have control over. And, um, your body as a kid is one of like the only domains that is kind of yours, right? Like we, we don't get to control what's happening in our families, what's happening in our households, like all these different things. We might not even get to control what's happening to our body. Some of the times, you know, as a kid, especially if you're dealing with like physical abuse or sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have this kind of like primary, it's like, it's your body, right? You live within it. And so one of the things I learned about early childhood trauma is that even very, very small kids, um, like, you know, two, three-year-olds that are in foster care or have gone through significant attachment trauma will turn inward towards their body functions as a way Mm -hmm. to try to self-soothe. And we see this in like, um, sometimes it has to do with like bathroom behaviors. Like there will yep. kind of be a focus on like holding in, you know, um, yep. pee and poop or like, yep. uh, things with those body functions, but then a little mm-hmm. bit older food. And then also interestingly, like masturbation, um, are yep. two things because it's like, those are two things that you can control that you can do with mm-hmm. yourself and that have a primary, um, pleasure because eating yeah. is like inherently enjoyable, right? It's like the sensory right. experience. It tastes right. good. Like it's, it's immediately enjoyable and kind mm-hmm. of same with like sexual stimulation or like masturbation. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, a and lot of the times, fitness too, right? Like oh, yeah. there, there are chemical changes happening when like your endorphins are endorphining. <laughs> totally. Yes. It's like these like primary, you know, um, positive responses that you get. Yeah. And a lot of the work I do with people is really building compassion for like, yeah, listen, like, you know, within the context of this traumatic environment, you actually found like really smart ways to try to self-soothe, to try to self-regulate, yeah. you know, you weren't taught how to regulate your emotions. And so you found some just like somatic things. See, like it feels right. good to eat. It feels good to touch myself. It feels good yep. to, you know, whatever. So a lot of like compassion, cause there's a lot of shame around it too. Like people yes. feel a lot of shame around their eating habits. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think that's why, to be frank, I think that's why a lot of people don't like having these conversations Mm -hmm. is because they do feel that shame. And so then when you put like a word or, you know, to it and you start talking about anti-fatness or fat phobia, the people are like, no, I am just trying to be healthy and that's not me. And I'm not trying to put any more hate in the world and blow, you know what I mean? And like, I, I've gotten people send me emails, Mm -hmm. DMs, and I'm like, I am not passing judgment on you. Yeah. There is no judgment at all. If you come across, you know, a TikTok video, if you've come across a podcast that I've done, if you come, you know, whatever, and you hear me talking about eating disorders, disorder eating, anti-fatness, its connections to white supremacy, et cetera, that is not me passing judgment on you. That is simply stating something that's factual. And both of those things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. You can be doing this for safety 
and it can right. also in a broader societal sense be unsafe yeah yeah I know that nuance is hard for people and I think it is just such an activating topic it's just so oh my like, god yeah so activating for so many people so I'm really grateful yeah. that we can have this conversation and I feel yes. like um it's so important it, before we end I like to just ask kind of an open-ended like is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure that we can talk about or just anything else that you want to share about your um, experience I think just, you know, I think the last thing that I'll say to people is like, again, this is such a, a heavy nuance conversation um, because it intersects with so many other like very large and expansive topics. Mm-hmm. So when you're coming across, um, you know, educators within this space, um, take the moment to accept what that they what they're saying and how it may be truthful even if you don't understand it yet mm-hmm. um and then do your own research right after that um because i think what is really difficult about a lot of folks who do this work is not only are they like doing this work and sometimes getting you know negative feedback on them doing this work but that like it's then reinforced because they also are in a larger body themselves mm-hmm. um so you know, especially if you're in the, like, we, but we care about your health. Um, remember people's mental health is their health. Um, so before you go off in somebody's comments, like take a second to like, listen and then do your own research and and learn from it because, um, you know, I think especially again with people who intersect in other identities, such as um, being trans or being a woman, or especially being a black woman, that like sometimes we just get like an extra whopping kick of yeah. you gotta be wrong and everything is wrong with you um, when people come across our content. So just just take a second, breathe. Mm-hmm. except that it could be valid do your mm-hmm. research to go ahead and you know see if that's true um and and start start the unlearning process I know it's so uncomfortable um I've been in that uncomfortable space too I know you have as well mm-hmm. um but we can all get there and I promise you it's really really cool on the other side it's so much more chill yeah (laughs) well said well said so much more chill so much more chill and i'm gonna be including the links that you shared in the podcast description so if anybody wants to like reach out to you or are you accepting clients or people that would be interested in working with you Yes, I am accepting um, some more one-on-one clients. If you're in Chicago, um, then I do have some in-person group fitness classes, um, teaching five times a week right now. Um, And then it hasn't been fully announced yet, but um, I would highly recommend hopping on my email list if you are a provider of any kind, because I'm we're working on doing a, a workshop myself in the clinical practice that I do my coaching out of um, for providers specifically to, to talk about some of these topics. So that's hopefully going to be officially announced by the time this gets released. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That is so, what a great resource. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time to come share your expertise. I got a lot out of it and I'm sure that a lot of the listeners here will as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Bye, y'all. Bye.